This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. The sea, which had been beating against the shores, suddenly broke the boundary that was imposed on it by nature. The sea rushed into the city. It coursed through the streets. The sea covered up everything. Even as they were all looking, Ajuna saw the beautiful buildings becoming submerged one by one. Ajuna took a last look at the mansion of Krishna. It was soon covered by the sea. In a matter of a few moments, it was all over. The sea had now become as placid as a lake. There was no trace of the beautiful city which had been the favorite haunt of all the Pandavas. Dwarka was just a name, just a memory. The Mahabharata. Attention, fellow seekers of the extraordinary and enthusiasts of the unknown. Prepare to embark on a remarkable expedition unlike any we have encountered thus far. In this extraordinary episode, we shall veer slightly away from the realm of the paranormal and instead delve into the ethereal realm of legends and mythical cataclysms. Join us as we venture into the haunting tales of ancient lore, exploring the spectral remnants of bygone eras and the enigmatic specters of mythical devastation. Dive with me into the unfathomable realms of the Arabian Sea on a passionate search to uncover the enigma of a forgotten metropolis, the mythical Dwarka, India's veritable Atlantis. A tapestry of intricate myths and divine epics, Dwarka is believed to have been the magnificent dwelling place of Lord Krishna, an avatar of the Hindu god Vishnu. Yet it's said to have vanished in a single catastrophic night, disappearing beneath the waves and leaving no trace but memories and myths in its wake. Amidst the gentle hum of sea shanties and the muffled rhythm of the rolling waves, one can almost hear the strains of Krishna's flute wafting from the depths of the ocean. And it's there, within these ethereal notes, that our journey into the heart of this lost city begins. The Mahabharata, the grand Indian epic, paints Dwarka as a dazzling city with 900,000 opulent palaces crafted from silver and gold, decorated with precious gems. The city was said to have had beautiful gardens, resonating with the melodies of birds and the fragrance of blooming flowers, surrounded by the gentle lapping of the Arabian Sea. It was a place of profound peace and celestial luxury, designed by the divine architect Vishwakarma himself. Yet, the fate of this paradise was as dramatic as its conception. As legend has it, after the earthly departure of Lord Krishna, the city of Dwarka was swallowed by the sea in a maelstrom of chaos and destruction, lost in the span of a single night. This extraordinary tale mirrors the story of Atlantis, creating a fascinating parallel that ignites the curiosity of scholars and spiritual seekers. Recent underwater archaeology lends some credence to this ancient narrative. Marine archaeologists have discovered intriguing structures off the coast of modern-day Dwarka, the remnants of what could have been grand buildings and extensive walls. These submerged ruins raise fascinating questions. Could these be the remnants of the ancient city? And if so, what extraordinary circumstances led to its catastrophic end? To decipher the mystery of Dwarka, we must delve deeper into the heart of its legendary king, Krishna, a god who walked amongst mortals, held Dwarka as his earthly realm. His tales of valor, diplomacy, and divine wisdom color the narrative of the Mahabharata, adding depth and gravitas to the saga of the city. Yet Krishna's story is also one of profound tragedy. Following a series of curses and prophecies, it was foretold that upon his departure, his beloved city of Dwarka would be reclaimed by the sea. True to prophecy, the city was consumed by a furious tempest, disappearing beneath the tumultuous waves and thus ending the era of Krishna. Today, Dwarka exists both as a living city on the edge of the sea, teeming with temples that sing the glories of Krishna, and as a mysterious legend of a city submerged. 
Like the lost city of Atlantis, the ancient Dwarka lives on as an enigma at the intersection of myth, faith, and history. It is a tantalizing glimpse into a past steeped in grandeur and spiritual depth, lost but for the echoes of the divine and the secrets of the sea. Our exploration into the lost city of Dwarka is thus more than a dive into the Arabian Sea. It's a plunge into the depths of ancient lore and celestial mysteries. As we navigate the currents of legend and fact, we unlock a world where gods once walked and where a city of gold now sleeps beneath the waves. So, join me on a voyage into the mists of myth and reality, braving the tempests of time in search of a city lost to the water. Do you have the courage to dive deep and uncover the secrets of Dwarka, India's legendary Atlantis, and to reveal the stories submerged beneath the silent waves? Throughout the ages, man has repeated the same earnest saying, more of a question really, or perhaps even a plea, if these walls could talk. But what if they do, and always have? Perhaps their stories, memories, and messages are all around us, if only we would take the moment to listen. On this podcast, we reinvestigate legends and tales of the past and allow the echoes of their lessons to live on once again, informing us, educating us, and sharing new and unique insight into the inner workings of the paranormal and spiritual world. Will you dare to listen? This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Time creates all things, and time destroys them all. Time burns all creatures, and time again extinguishes that fire, the Mahabharata. Beyond the dramatic tales of vanished cities and divine realms, there lies a rich tapestry of culture, spirituality, and philosophy. The Enchanting Land of India. A country with an unfathomable depth of history, where myriad traditions intersect and where the echoes of ancient epics reverberate through time. Born from the womb of the Indian subcontinent, a land of diverse landscapes, from the lofty Himalayas to the tranquil backwaters of Kerala, India has cradled countless civilizations. Its history, a blend of cultures and traditions, is a grand saga that mirrors the timeless narratives of its ancient scriptures. Hinduism, the oldest and third largest religion in the world, practiced by over 850 million people, is a significant thread in the fabric of India. It is not just a religion, but a philosophy, a way of life that has guided millions of souls for millennia. At the heart of Hinduism is a deep respect for all forms of life and a profound understanding of the universe's cyclical nature. And, of all its historical and spiritual texts, one looms above the rest, the Mahabharata, the grandest epic of ancient India. A Sanskrit epic that stands shoulder to shoulder with the Ramayana, the Mahabharata is not merely a collection of ancient narratives, but a rich tapestry of philosophical insights and spiritual discourse. The authorship of this monumental work is traditionally attributed to Vyasa, an ancient sage and seer whose vision and storytelling ability has shaped the contours of Indian philosophy. Over centuries, scholars and researchers have sought to unravel the layers of this epic's historical growth and composition, their efforts illuminating the brilliance of ancient India's intellectual and spiritual tradition. The Mahabharata is a treasure trove of tales, parables, and discourses, each echoing profound truths about life, duty, and the eternal battle between righteousness and unrighteousness. 
This mammoth text, composed between the 3rd century BCE and the 3rd century CE, narrates the gripping saga of the Kurukshetra War, a cataclysmic conflict between two branches of the Kuru clan, the Pandavas and the Kauravas. Yet the Mahabharata is more than a tale of war. It's a profound exploration of life itself. Each character, each twist in the plot serves as a metaphor for the complexities of human existence and the moral dilemmas that we encounter in our journey through life. Considered to be the longest epic poem known, the Mahabharata, with over 1.8 million words, surpasses the combined lengths of the Iliad and the Odyssey. It is a work of such monumental scale and significance that it has been compared to the Bible, the Quran, Greek drama, Shakespearean plays, and often regarded as the fifth Veda in the Indian tradition. Central to the Mahabharata is the divine figure of Krishna, considered to be an avatar of the god Vishnu. Vishnu is one of the most significant deities in Hinduism. He is regarded as the preserver and protector of the universe, a member of the Hindu trinity known as the Trimurti. This trilogy consists of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. Vishnu is depicted as a benevolent and compassionate deity associated with qualities such as mercy, kindness, and righteousness. He is often portrayed with a dark blue complexion, holding various symbolic objects and weapons in his multiple hands. Vishnu is also depicted as reclining on the serpent Shisha, floating on the cosmic ocean, with his consort Lakshmi massaging his feet. Vishnu is associated with the preservation and balance of the universe. It is believed that he sustains and maintains order, intervening whenever necessary to restore harmony and righteousness. Devotees of Vishnu often worship him through various rituals, prayers, and devotional practices seeking his blessings and protection. According to Hindu mythology, Vishnu incarnates on earth whenever evil threatens to prevail and righteousness needs to be restored. These incarnations, known as avatars, are believed to be his divine manifestations. The most famous avatars of Vishnu are Rama and Krishna, both of whom are central figures in the Hindu epics Ramayana and Mahabharata, respectively. In the Mahabharata, Krishna, the avatar of Vishnu, served as a charioteer, friend, and guide to the Pandava prince Arjuna. The philosophical discourse between Krishna and Arjuna, known as the Bhagavad Gita, forms the spiritual core of the Mahabharata. It offers the most profound insights into duty, righteousness, and the path to liberation, shaping the spiritual landscape of India and leaving a profound impact on Hindu philosophy. Legend states that Krishna is the origin of everything that is, and is the most supreme identity of divinity. Krishna, the charioteer, diplomat, and statesman, and portrayed as the godchild, the prankster, the warrior, and the lover, is also intimately linked with the city of Dwarka, considered one of the four most sacred pilgrimage sites of Hinduism. The tale of this city's creation and its eventual submersion into the sea forms a captivating chapter in the broader narrative of Krishna, adding yet another layer of mystique to this divine figure. But let's first cover the basics lest I get ahead of myself. Hinduism, with its rich tapestry of myths, legends, and philosophical discourses, has left an indelible imprint on the cultural, social, and intellectual life of India. It has shaped the country's art, literature, music, dance, and even its social and political structures. The wisdom of Hindu scriptures like the Mahabharata has seeped into every aspect of Indian life, guiding its people in their spiritual and worldly pursuits. As we delve into the depths of India's history, the interplay of culture and spirituality, and the timeless narratives of the Mahabharata, we begin to unravel the intricate patterns that have shaped this vibrant civilization. We discover a land where the sacred intertwines with the mundane, 
where ancient wisdom resonates in modern life, and where tales of divine cities and celestial beings are not mere legends, but metaphors for deeper philosophical truths. Our journey into the saga of Dwarka is more than an exploration of a lost city. It's a voyage into the heart of Indian culture and spirituality, a pilgrimage into the sacred landscape of the Indian psyche. But where did Hinduism originate? Where did it come from? In the primordial times when the world was still finding its rhythm, a spiritual tradition emerged on the banks of the Indus River. This spiritual current flowing through the centuries became the river of Hinduism, a faith as diverse as the people who embrace it. The dawn of Hinduism can be traced back to the ancient civilizations of the Indus Valley, which existed around 3300 to 1300 BCE. Here, seeds of a spiritual tradition took root, growing into a vast spiritual tree that shelters countless philosophical branches and diverse practices. Hinduism, unlike many traditions, does not trace its origins to a single prophet or holy book. Instead, it is a confluence of diverse thoughts, rituals, and philosophical schools. It does not demand adherence to a singular creed. Instead, it encourages exploration, offering myriad paths to spiritual realization. At its heart, Hinduism cherishes a few core tenets. The first among these is Dharma, an intricate concept that signifies duty, righteousness, and ethical living. It insists that every individual has a unique role to play in the cosmic drama, and fulfilling one's dharma leads to harmony within oneself and with the world. Next comes karma, the law of cause and effect, a principle that suggests every action has consequences that could span across lifetimes. The cosmic ledger of deeds underpins the cycle of birth and death, known as samsara, another key concept in Hinduism. Hinduism also espouses the belief in moksha, the eventual liberation from this cycle of birth and death. Moksha is the end of worldly suffering and the realization of one's ultimate nature, which is divine and eternal. The divine in Hinduism is conceived in myriad ways, from a single omnipotent deity to multiple gods and goddesses, each embodying a facet of the divine. It is a faith that accommodates monotheism, polytheism, and even atheism. Among the pantheon of Hindu gods, Lord Krishna holds a place of prime importance, his life and teachings forming the core of the Bhagavad Gita and the Mahabharata. As we venture into the fabled city of Dwarka and the legends of Krishna, we find ourselves sailing on the currents of Hindu thought, philosophy, and mythology. As we navigate these mystical waters, we don't merely explore a submerged city or a mythical character. We are traversing the vast ocean of Hinduism, which has been the lifeblood of Indian civilization for millennia. I must confess that the tale of the Mahabharata, which I'm about to recount for you in as much simplicity as I can is quite perplexing at times. With its vast array of characters, intricate plot lines, and intertwining narratives, the Mahabharata is a vast epic that has enthralled generations of readers and scholars alike. But fear not. Although the Mahabharata can be a bit bewildering, its richness and depth make it a story that is well worth the effort and time to unravel together. And with a story as complicated as the Mahabharata, and with as many characters as there are to cover, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to have a little bit of fun with this. But the last thing that I mean to do is disrespect the work itself. But sometimes stories and epics like this of any culture are just so wild and hilarious to recount that I just thought I'd have some fun with this. So please do not be offended by some humor in here. I should also say that as an ancient epic, there's quite a few aspects of this story that may be considered PG-13. <laughs> so if you're listening with children, there's a lot of there's a lot of Greek-like stuff that goes on here, so just a gentle heads up. <laughs> so before we delve into the ancient saga itself, let's take a moment to establish the background in the world in which this extraordinary tale unfolds. We kick things off with King Shantanu who must have had a thing for mysterious ladies he found by rivers, because he ends up marrying this peculiar woman, but here's where it gets really bizarre. 
she starts drowning all of her kids. Yeah, you heard that right. Very strange parenting methods. Thankfully, the king, Shantanu, manages to stop her from drowning her last child, which is a little boy. Now, brace yourselves for this little bombshell. The woman reveals that she's actually a goddess and claims that her kiddo is a god too. But, as punishment for some cow-stealing shenanigans in a past life, he has to stick around on Earth. So, they name him Devavrata. But, just to keep you on your toes, they start calling him Bhishma, which means one of firm vow. I guess that's their way of saying, hey, this kid means business. So, off goes the goddess back to her divine realm, leaving the king to continue his rule. But wait, there's more. Enter Sati Avati, a fairy-running lady who steals the king's son. Shantanu, remember that's the king, pops the big question, asking her father if he can marry her. The father agrees, but with a sneaky condition. Only Sativati's children can inherit the throne, leaving poor Bhishma out in the cold. Now it gets more interesting. Bhishma, being the chill dude that he is, agrees to remain celibate and not have any children of his own. So, talk about sacrifice here. So, Santanu and Sativati tie the knot, and they have two boys. As luck would have it, one of them dies in battle without having any kids, and the other, via Trevia, I'm doing my best with these pronunciations, so bear with me, grows up and marries not one, but two women, Ambika and Ambalika. Now, before these ladies can even think about having children, via Trevia kicks the bucket. And guess who's standing as the sole survivor of the royal family? You got it, our celibate hero, Bhishma. But hold on, folks, there's another twist. Queen Satyavati, the fairy lady, had a little secret that she hadn't spilled to anyone. Turns out that before she got hit, she was born from a fish. Yes, a fish. And had a steamy encounter with a sage, resulting in a son named Vyasa. So even though Vyasa isn't exactly the heir by birthright, he still had some claim to the throne. And talk about family trees with branches that go off in all sorts of unexpected directions. So after much deliberation and some seriously unconventional family planning, it was decided that Vyasa should step in and help out Vyatravia's wives. Yeah, you heard me right. Vyasa was about to become the ultimate surrogate royal daddy. So first up, we have Ambika, who gives birth to a baby boy named Drutarastra. Now, he seems like a decent chap and all, but there's just one tiny problem. He was born blind. So, talk about Twist of Fate. Poor guy should have been the rightful king, but the universe decided to throw him a major curveball. So, Via Trevia's other wife decides to get cozy with Fiasa as well, and she pops out a little bundle of joy named Pandu. Unlike his brother, Pandu doesn't seem to have any vision issues. So, in a true past-the-throne moment, Drutarastra, being the stand-up guy that he is, realizes that the ruling might not be his cup of tea. And he gracefully hands over the kingdom to his younger brother, Pandu, leaving us with a blind king and the kingdom in the hands of the able-eyed one. Now, Pandu might be the lucky guy in terms of eyesight, but boy oh boy does he get himself into a bit of a pickle. You see, during one of his hunting escapades, he shoots an innocent deer right in the middle of, um, an intimate moment. Little did he know that this deer was no ordinary woodland creature, but, you guessed it, a god in disguise. And as we all know, messing with gods is a recipe for trouble. So, the angry god curses Pandu, basically saying, Hey, since you interrupted my moment of passion, I'm going to mess with your love life too. The curse hits him pretty hard, and Pandu is now doomed to drop dead if he ever gets frisky. Talk about serious buzzkill, am I right? Now, Pandu's got a couple of wives, Kunti and Madri, but thanks to that delightful curse, he can't exactly fulfill his husbandly duties. So what does he do? Well, he decides to take a little vacation in the woods with his wives. I guess when life throws you a curveball, you just go and hide out in nature, I guess. But hold on, things are about to get even juicier. One fine day, Kunti, being the resourceful woman she is, decides to summon the sun god. Lo and behold, he actually shows up. The sun god, being the smooth talker that he is, tells Kunti, if you're calling me, you better be ready for some serious action. 
and you guessed it folks, they end up getting it on. So Kunthi ends up giving birth to a baby boy named Karna, but here's the kicker. She decides to send him floating down the river in a basket. Yes, that's right. River delivery service. Come on, Moses. This poor kid gets discovered by a soldier and his wife who raise him as their own. Little did they know that Karna, the abandoned baby turned warrior, would later return to the story as a formidable force to be reckoned with. Meanwhile, Pandu is always trying to get a loophole in that little pesky curse of his. He must have thought, hey, if I can't have any fun, maybe my wives can have some divine intervention. So he hatches a plan and tells Kunti to get busy with a few gods and see what happens. First contestant on Kunti's divine match game agenda is Yama, the god of death and justice. And what do you know? Their encounter together leads to the birth of a boy named Yudhishthir. Next, she sets her sights on Vayu, the god of the wind, and voila, Bimasina, a strapping lad, enters the scene. But Kunthi isn't done yet. She decides to take it up a notch and gets cozy with none other than Indra, the chief god himself. Their union gives birth to the mighty Ajuna. Meanwhile, Pandu's second wife, Madri, decides to join in the godly rendezvous fun. She entices the Oswins, the divine twin gods, and they bless her with twin boys named Nakula and Sahadeva. So to recap, we've got Yudhishthira, Bhimasena, Arjuna, Nakula, and Sahadeva, all boys, all awesome, and collectively known as the Pandavas. That's important. Remember that. These lads are the ones we're going to be focusing in on as this epic tale of epic proportions unfolds. But, alas, poor Pandu just can't resist his urges, can he? Despite the curse looming over him, he decides to get a little too cozy with his wife Mandri, and what happens next? Well, my friends, he meets his untimely demise right there in her arms. It's like a tragic twist straight out of a dramatic play. And to add even more heart-wrenching drama to the mix, Madri, unable to bear the loss, throws herself onto Pandu's funeral pyre. It's a double dose of tragedy and emotional turmoil for the whole family. Now here's where things continue to get interesting. Kunthi, the ever-resilient wife, takes charge of the Pandava boys and seeks refuge with Pandu's blind brother. His blind brother had married the princess Gundar, who, in a show of solidarity, blindfolds herself to share in her husband's visual impairment. Talk about commitment to the cause. While Pandu was busy avoiding the bedroom like the plague, his brother assumed the throne and, along with Gundar, did what kings and queens do best, have lots and lots of children. And by lots, I mean a whopping 100 sons. And here's the kicker. These boys weren't your run-of-the-mill births. Oh no, they were born from a metal ball that Gundar carried in her womb for years. When the time was right, she took a good old whack at the ball and out popped the boys one after the other. But let me tell you folks, these 100 sons, known as the Kauravas, were far from angelic. They were a rowdy bunch, constantly at odds with their cousins, the Pandavas, and leading this pack of not-so-nice boys was none other than Duryodhana, the epitome of a baddie. It's like a never-ending family feud, with Bhishma playing the role of the concerned uncle desperately trying his best. Hold on to your seats, folks, because the drama is about to reach its peak. The wicked Kaurava brothers, fueled by envy and consumed by their desire for power, were determined to bring down their cousin, Yudhishthira, from his rightful place, and let me tell you, their methods were about as treacherous as they come. Their first diabolical plan involved trapping the Pandavas inside a burning palace, but luck was on the Pandava's side that day as they managed to escape the fiery inferno. Undeterred, the Kauravas didn't give up their quest to gain control. They hatched yet another wicked scheme, this time targeting Yadishtira directly. One of the Kauravas' brothers, in his infinite wisdom, insert intense eye roll here, challenged Yadishtira to a high-stakes game of dice. Now you'd think that a friendly game among relatives would be all fun and games, right? Wrong. The game took a dark turn and Yadishtira ended up losing everything. His wealth, his possessions, and even his and his brother's wife. As the result of this deceitful game, the Pandavas were stripped of their rightful place in the kingdom and forced into exile. For a grueling twelve years, they had to endure the harsh realities of life in the unforgiving forest. 
The thirteenth year was the ultimate test. They had to live incognito, hiding their true identities in the city. Those thirteen years of hardship in disguise transformed the Pandavas. They learned invaluable life lessons and gained profound knowledge during their time in the wilderness. It's like a crash course in survival and personal growth. But as fate would have it, the end of their exile marked the beginning of a cataclysmic clash. Duryodhana, still fueled by his deep-seated resentment, couldn't resist the urge to challenge the Pandavas once again, and thus a colossal war ensued with lives hanging in the balance. The war between the Kauravas and the Pandavas was an epic showdown, a battle of epic proportions. They claimed that millions of lives were lost, sacrifices were made, and the repercussions were felt far and wide. It was a tragic culmination of a long-standing feud, leaving both sides grappling with the bitter reality that victory came at a devastating cost. And so, my friends, the story of the Mahabharata teaches us that sometimes, despite bloodshed and the striving for power, truly nothing substantial is gained. It's a sobering reminder that, in the pursuit of dominance, the price we pay can be unimaginable. But hold on to your hats, folks, because we're about to dive into the world of the most dramatic figure in the entire Mahabharata, the one and only Krishna. Now, let me tell you, this guy is no ordinary character. In fact, he is the supreme personality of Godhead himself, descending to Earth in human form to set things right and guide his devotees in their role as caretakers of the Earth. Krishna, being the cousin of both the Pandavas and the Kauravas, had a unique position in this epic tale. But make no mistake, he was firmly Team Pandava. He became a trusted friend and advisor to the Pandavas, and in a fascinating turn of events, he even became the brother-in-law of the heroic Ajuna. Throughout the Mahabharata, Krishna played multiple roles. He served as Ajuna's mentor, guiding him with wisdom and counsel. And during the Great War, Krishna even stepped up as Ajuna's charioteer, lending him the divine support he needed to face the monumental challenges ahead. But it gets really interesting. Krishna, the master of strategy, was not merely a spectator in this grand saga. He had his own cosmic agenda, and the Pandavas were his chosen instruments to fulfill his divine purpose. He, in his divine wisdom, saw the war as a necessary means to restore balance and righteousness in the world. So you could say the Pandavas were like Krishna's pawns in a celestial game of chess, with the fate of the world hanging in the balance. Now let's talk about the aftermath of this colossal war. While many hailed the victory and saw the war as a necessary evil, there was one individual who remained deeply troubled, Yadishthira, the oldest of the Pandavas. Despite the assurances of his loved ones, including Krishna himself, that the war was justified, Yadishthira's conscience weighed heavy with the sense of its wrongfulness. He grappled with the ethical gaps that persisted even in the face of victory. Even the wise patriarch Bhishma, in his final moments, took it upon himself to deliver a series of lectures to Yudhishthira on the intricate aspects of the good law, the duties and responsibilities of kings. But Yudhishthira's inner turmoil and his questioning of the war's righteousness never wavered. Now let me take you on a journey to the years that followed the Great War. Picture this. The blind king and his wife Gundar chose to embrace a life of asceticism in a serene forest retreat. And you won't believe it, they met their ultimate fate in the most extraordinary way, perishing with yogic calm in a forest fire. Talk about going out in a blaze of glory. But that's not it. Kunti, the courageous mother of the Pandavas, joined them in their peaceful abode. And as the years went by, a significant event occurred. Krishna, that enigmatic divine being who played such a pivotal role in the Mahabharata, bid farewell to this earthly realm. Thirty-six years had passed since the conclusion of the Great War, and Krishna, with his divine purpose fulfilled, departed from this mortal plane. As the news of Krishna's departure reached the Pandavas, a sense of destiny stirred within them. They believed that time had come for them to embark on what is famously known as the Great Journey. Now, pay attention, because this journey had a unique twist. They were to walk north, toward the polar mountain, symbolically moving closer to the heavenly worlds, until their mortal bodies could no longer carry them, and they dropped dead. Quite an adventurous way to bid adieu to the world, don't you think? One by one, the Pandavas began their pilgrimage, traversing the great path of the great journey. Draupadi, the fiery and devoted wife of the Pandavas, was the first to leave this earthly realm behind. And as they continued their march, each of the brothers, in their turn, met their end, until only Yudhishthira remained. But he was not alone. Throughout the entire expedition, a loyal and steadfast dog accompanied him, a faithful companion from the very beginning. 
As Yudhishthira approached the gates of heaven, a remarkable test of his virtue awaited him. The dog who had faithfully journeyed with him was revealed to be an incarnation of the god Dharma himself, Yudhishthira's actual physical father. Now here's where it gets interesting too. Yudhishthira was instructed to abandon the dog before entering heaven as a final test of his virtue, but our noble hero, true to his unwavering nature, refused to forsake his loyal companion. Imagine his surprise and awe when the dog transformed before his very eyes, revealing its true divine form. It was a test, my friends, a test of Yudhishthira's unwavering commitment to righteousness. And guess what? He passed with flying colors. With his virtue proven, Yudhishthira finally entered the realm of heaven, where he reunited with his beloved brothers. But in a final twist, Yudhishthira faced yet another test. He found himself surrounded by members of his adversaries in life, who had already attained heaven. Shocked and confused, he was told that his brothers were consigned to the depths of hell. But our virtuous hero would have none of it. He insisted on joining his brothers, even if it meant descending into hell itself. And in that moment, the divine illusion was shattered and the truth was revealed. His brothers were in heaven all along. It was a final lesson, a final test to reaffirm the unbreakable bond between the Pandavas. And so, my dear listeners, the Mahabharata is not merely a heroic tale of epic proportions. It is a profound exploration of the principles and responsibilities embodied in the Code of Dharma. In its sweeping text, you'll discover a treasure trove of wisdom, ethics, law, philosophy, history, geography, genealogy, and religion. The Mahabharata is a magnificent tapestry woven with legends, moral stories, and local tales, all intricately interwoven into this elaborate saga. The Mahabharata, a revered Hindu epic, continues to captivate minds with its rich storytelling and profound impact on Hindu cultural traditions. However, the question of whether it should be regarded as a historical record or a work of fiction remains a subject of debate. One compelling argument in favor of the Mahabharata being a historical account lies in the detailed record of the Bharat dynasty and its lineage, as mentioned in the epic. The mention of more than 50 kings and their dynasties, spanning from King Manu, suggests a level of historical authenticity. It is unlikely that a purely fictional tale would incorporate such an extensive lineage. The Mahabharata itself categorizes its narrative as itihasa, meaning history in Sanskrit. The intentional use of this term by the ancient authors indicates their intention to present the events as historical rather than fictional. Had they aimed to compose a work of fiction, they would have labeled it as one of the other words in Sanskrit instead, which were the common terms for epics or stories during the era, like the term katha. A remarkable aspect of the Mahabharata is the presence of descriptions that seemingly reflect the modern world, even though it was written thousands of years ago. References to Kali Yuga, the current age according to Hindu cosmology, and the fulfillment of prophecies mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita, a part of the Mahabharata, have intrigued many. The striking resemblance between these descriptions and the realities of the present era raises questions about whether the epic could merely be a work of fiction. The existence of real places mentioned in the Mahabharata and the discovery of archaeological evidence have further fueled this debate. Over 35 sites in North India have yielded artifacts and structures aligning with the descriptions in the epic. Copper utensils, iron tools, gold and silver ornaments, and pottery have been found at these sites, providing potential links to the Mahabharata era. Notably, the underwater city of Dwarka, which we are about to discuss, described in the epic, has been partially excavated and reveals elements consistent with the Mahabharata's betrayal. The Mahabharata's connection with the Indian epic, the Ramayana, presents another compelling aspect. Both epics exhibit coherence in the chain of events and the relationships between various kings and dynasties. 
The fact that the Mahabharata follows the lineage and stories established in the Ramayana raises questions about why two distinct authors would incorporate such detailed connections if they were writing separate works of fiction. The widely debated Aryan invasion theory, which suggests that Aryans migrated to India around 1500 BCE, poses a significant challenge when considering the timeline of the Mahabharata. If the epic is indeed a historical account, it would have to predate this migration. Many scholars and thinkers have rejected the Aryan invasion theory, emphasizing the need for alternative explanations regarding the origins of the epic. Determining the exact timeline of the Mahabharata remains elusive due to conflicting astronomical references and the cyclic nature of celestial events. Various scholars have proposed different dates for the occurrence of the Kurukshetra War, ranging from 5561 BCE to 950 BCE. However, the precision of astronomical calculations in ancient times is questionable at best, making it challenging to rely solely on these references to establish a concrete historical timeline. One of the most debated aspects of the Mahabharata is the scale of destruction described in the epic. The claim of a 4 million casualty count during the Kurukshetra War presents a challenge when compared to the estimated world population at the time, estimated to be about 110 million people. Additionally, the mention of advanced weaponry and the description of an unknown iron thunderbolt resembling a nuclear weapon has garnered a lot of attention. However, the lack of archaeological evidence of radioactive remains or nuclear-related artifacts raises doubts regarding the occurrence of a prehistoric nuclear war. All this to say that the debate surrounding the historical accuracy of the Mahabharata is a complex and multifaceted issue. While proponents of its historical occurrence present arguments such as detailed lineage records, archaeological correlations, and interconnections with the Ramayana, skeptics raise concerns about the scale of destruction, astronomical dating challenges, and lack of concrete evidence. As of now, the available evidence offers intriguing possibilities but falls short of definitively proving the epic's historical authenticity. Therefore, the question of whether the Mahabharata is, in fact, fact or fiction, remains a subject of continued exploration and interpretation. Now, I'm sure you're all asking yourself, now, wait a minute, Jeremy, how have we gotten over a half of the way through this episode and Dwarka hasn't come up? Where does that fit into this grand tale of the Mahabharata? Well, my curious friends... Dwarka holds its own significant place in this epic saga, and its story is as fascinating as the rest of the narrative. Dwarka, the splendid city by the sea, was no ordinary establishment. It was a majestic kingdom ruled by none other than Krishna himself. After the great war concluded, Krishna sought to establish a divine kingdom, a haven where righteousness and prosperity could flourish under his divine guidance. Legend has it that Lord Krishna, with his divine prowess and mystical powers, caused the city of Dwarka to rise from the depths of the ocean. Yes, Dwarka emerged from the shimmering waters like a gem sparkling under the sun. It was a magnificent sight to behold, with its golden palaces, majestic temples, and bustling streets teeming with joyous residents. It was surrounded by strong walls to prevent invasion from outsiders and turned the glorious city into a strong fortress. Dwarka became the ultimate abode of Krishna, a thriving center of culture, commerce, and spirituality. The city brimmed with opulence, and its residents reveled in the blissful atmosphere of Krishna's divine presence. The Yadava dynasty to which Krishna belonged flourished in Dwarka, and the city became the seat of power for its illustrious lineage. This utopia functioned in a world of science and technology centuries ahead of its time. Its sacred writings even speak of advanced flying machines and nuclear warfare called vimanas, long before the birth of human flight. All of its structures were made of gold, gems, and jewels, and its buildings were said to stand so high, the tops were floating amongst the clouds. It was considered to be the greatest city on Earth. But, my friends, as we know, 
Every tale has its twists and turns. Despite its glory, Dwarka faced its own share of challenges and trials. In due course, fate cast its shadow upon the kingdom. Internal conflicts and strife plagued the Yadaba dynasty, sowing the seeds of its eventual downfall. It is said that a curse, a result of an unfortunate incident involving a dispute over a magical jewel known as the Siamantaka, befell the Yadava dynasty. A legendary jewel of great significance within the realm of the Mahabharata. The Siamantaka was no ordinary gemstone. It possessed mystical powers and was said to bestow immense wealth and prosperity upon its possessor. According to the ancient scriptures, the Siamantaka was originally obtained by the great deity Surya, the sun god himself. This radiant jewel possessed a deep blue hue, akin to the color of a clear summer sky, earning it the name Siamantaka, meaning deep blue in Sanskrit. The jewel was passed down through generations, eventually coming into the possession of Satrajit, a noble Yadava prince and devotee of the sun god. With the Siamantaka adorning his neck, he experienced unparalleled fortune and opulence. The jewel's radiance was believed to attract divine blessings, causing abundant crops, flourishing wealth, and favorable circumstances for Satrajit and his kingdom. However, the Siamantaka's mystical powers also attracted envy and greed. The jewel became the subject of contention and desire, sparking conflicts and misconceptions among those who coveted its blessings. The Mahabharata tells us that one fateful day, Satrajit's brother donned the jewel and ventured into the forest for a hunt. Tragically, he was attacked by a lion and perished, and the Siamantaka disappeared from sight. The jewel's disappearance fueled rumors and accusations, with fingers pointed at Krishna, who was a close confidant of the Yadava lineage, and often associated with miraculous deeds. Determined to clear his name, Krishna embarked on a quest to find the Siamantaka and uncover the truth. Ultimately, the mystery was resolved, revealing that the Siamantaka had fallen into the possession of a lion who had slain Katrajit's brother. Krishna confronted the lion, vanquished it, and retrieved the jewel, bringing an end to the doubts and suspicions surrounding its disappearance. But the perceived curse of the jewel brought forth a series of tragic events, leading to a gradual decline of the once thriving kingdom of Dwarka. Discontent and discord infiltrated the hearts of the Yadava rulers and their subjects, unraveling the harmony that once defined Dwarka. And then, my friends, the unthinkable occurred. After nearly 100 years of residing in Dwarka, Krishna finally passed away and the resplendent city of divine origins met its cataclysmic fate. As prophesied, Dwarka was engulfed by the mighty ocean, reclaimed by the very waters that had given it birth, forever etching it into the memory of its people. In Mahabharata chapter 3 it is written, When Krishna left the earth to join the spiritual world after 125 years, the deity of the ocean named Samudra took back the land, sparing only Lord Krishna's palace. So there you have it. The enigmatic tale of Dwarka, a city born from the ocean's embrace, adorned with the divine presence of Krishna, and ultimately destined to face the ravages of time and water. Dwarka stands as a poignant reminder of the transience of all things, even the most magnificent of creations. And though the physical city of Dwarka may lie hidden beneath the waves, its significance endures, weaving itself into the fabric of the Mahabharata, a reminder of the ephemeral nature of power, the impermanence of worldly possessions, and the eternal quest for spiritual truth that lies at the heart of this timeless epic. In the 1960s, a series of archaeological excavations were undertaken in the quest to locate the fabled city of Dwarka. Dwarka, the city mentioned in the ancient scriptures and revered as the kingdom of Lord Krishna, had long been shrouded in myth and legend. The efforts to unearth its remnants were fueled by a desire to uncover the historical and cultural significance of this ancient city, as well as to validate the narratives recorded in the scriptures. 
The pioneering excavations in the 1960s were led by renowned archaeologist Dr. K. S. Rao, who spearheaded the exploration on the coastal region of western India. Utilizing historical texts such as the Mahabharata, which provided detailed descriptions of Dwarka's layout and grandeur, Dr. Rao and his team embarked on a meticulous search for the elusive city. His journey truly began while demolishing a building in modern-day Dwarka, when they stumbled upon a large piece of an ancient temple. Upon further investigation, his team discovered the remains of a seven-story temple hidden beneath the earth. The discovery unveiled a 3,500-year-old temple beneath the modern city street. The first breakthrough came in 1963, when the team discovered a series of ancient submerged structures off the coast of modern-day Dwarka, which maintains the name of the ancient city. These structures provided tangible evidence of centuries-old human habitation in the area, and raised hopes of uncovering the remnants of the fabled city itself. In his book, The Lost City of Dwarka, published in 1999, Dr. Rao writes about his undersea finds. Quote, the discovery is an important landmark in the history of India. It is set to rest the doubts expressed by historians about the historicity of Mahabharata and the very existence of the Dwarka city. Conducting 12 expeditions between 1983 and 1990, Rao identified two underwater settlements, one near the present-day Dwarka and the other in the nearby island of Bet Dwarka. Just off the shore, on the island of Bet Dwarka, Nestled amongst the sparkling waters of the Arabian Sea, 20 minutes off the coast of modern-day Dwarka, lie the remnants of an ancient wall that whispers truth to the verses of the Mahabharata, describing the fortifications erected by Krishna to protect its people. These ruins and shards of ancient pottery, as well as remnants of ancient oil lamps and perfectly intact ancient beads dating back to 1500 BC, hold a mystique that captivates the hearts and minds of pilgrims who journey here in search of a connection to their rich cultural heritage. Once believed to be part of the Indian mainland and separated by centuries of tsunamis and storms, this island stands as a poignant testament to the relentless forces of nature and the passage of time. The ruins, held here, offer a tangible link to the legendary city of Dwarka, a city steeped in myth and revered in the belief system of many Indians. For those who undertake the pilgrimage to Bet Dwarka, these ruins are more than just mere remnants. They are the sacred foundation of a land upon which Krishna's fabled city of gold once stood. For generations, Indians have made the journey to Bet Dwarka, drawn by an unyielding faith and an unwavering belief in the power of these legends. With each step they take, they carry the weight of their ancestors' stories, intertwining their own identities with the timeless tales of Dwarka. Bet Dwarka, with its ancient wall and scattered pottery shards, serves as a living testament to the intertwined nature of mythology, spirituality, and history. It embodies the enduring legacy of a civilization that once thrived on these shores. In the realm of archaeological marvels, few discoveries at Dwarka rival the profound significance of the seal found amidst the ancient ruins of Bet Dwarka. Imprinted on a conch shell, this remarkable token holds within it the essence of a legend, bridging the gap between myth and reality. For within the Mahabharata, the epic tale that weaves together the history of ancient India lies the account of Krishna commanding the people of Dwarka to wear a seal about their necks as a symbol of their citizenship and identity. The intricately carved seal depicted a mesmerizing sight, a three-headed animal representing the mighty power and divine presence that resided within Dwarka. It was a symbol that united the citizens, serving as their calling card, carrying their heritage and proclaiming their allegiance to the fabled city of gold. The discovery of this seal not only validates the legends that have been passed down through the generations, but also serves as a powerful reminder of the enduring cultural and historical significance of Dwarka. It unravels the layers of mystery that shroud the city and offer glimpses into the lives of its inhabitants. Over the next few decades, subsequent archaeological expeditions continued to unveil the secrets of Dwarka, Extensive underwater excavations were carried out, revealing submerged walls, fortifications, and various artifacts, including pottery, sculptures, and coins. These findings not only confirmed the existence of an ancient city, but also hinted at the grandeur and prosperity it once possessed. The excavations also shed light on the geological history of the region, providing cultural insights into the submergence and transformation of Dwarka over time. 
It is believed that Dwarka faced multiple episodes of submergence due to geological processes such as sea level rise and tectonic activity. The findings suggest that the city might have experienced several cycles of construction, destruction, and subsequent rebuilding throughout its history. One of the most significant discoveries during the excavations was the establishment of a submerged city wall, measuring about 560 meters in length and constructed using large stone blocks. This monumental structure served as a testament to the advanced architectural skills and engineering prowess of the ancient inhabitants of Dwarka. The findings from Dwarka not only provided valuable archaeological insight, but also fueled the imagination of researchers and historians. They drew parallels between the excavations and the descriptions of Dwarka found in ancient scriptures, the meticulous planning and organization of the city, the presence of majestic palaces and temples, and the thriving maritime trade mentioned in the texts seemed to align with the archaeological findings. As the excavations continued, researchers unearthed more evidence of Dwarka's prosperous past. They discovered a massive 5,000-year-old stone anchor, believed to be a remnant of the thriving maritime culture, indicating the city's importance as a port and trade hub. Additionally, the remains of a sunken harbor and docking facilities were found, supporting the notion of Dwarka as a bustling seaport. However, despite these significant findings, the quest to locate the core of the ancient city, often referred to as Dwarka proper, remains elusive. The scriptures spoke of a magnificent city with grand palaces, temples, and public buildings, but its exact location continues to elude us. In recent years, advanced techniques such as remote sensing, sonar imaging, and underwater exploration have been employed to further investigate the submerged structures and unravel these mysteries. These technological advancements have aided in mapping the underwater topography and identifying potential sites for further exploration. While the search for Dwarka's core city continues, the excavations and findings thus far have significantly contributed to our understanding of ancient Indian history and culture. They have reaffirmed the historical authenticity of the narratives recorded in the scriptures and shed light on the ancient architectural and maritime practices of the time. Furthermore, the exploration of Dwarka has spurred interest in underwater archaeology and its potential to unearth hidden civilizations and submerged cities around the world. The efforts to locate Dwarka have paved the way for further research and exploration in underwater archaeology, opening up new avenues for understanding our shared human heritage. As the excavation efforts persist, the quest to locate Dwarka remains a captivating journey that intertwines mythology, history, and archaeology. The ancient city's rich cultural legacy and its connection to the beloved deity Lord Krishna continue to inspire researchers and enthusiasts. With each new discovery, the story of Dwarka unfolds, providing glimpses into a bygone era and deepening our appreciation for the ancient roots of Indian civilization. In the realm of ancient legends and captivating tales, the legends of Dwarka and the Mahabharata stand tall. These timeless stories hold a special place in our hearts as they offer a glimpse into a world brimming with intrigue, heroicism, and moral dilemmas that transcend time itself. Through the mysterious city of Dwarka, we are transported to an era of opulence and divine intervention. Its legendary grandeur sparks our curiosity, while its fateful submergence stirs our imagination. Dwarka becomes more than just a lost city. It becomes a metaphor for the rise and fall of civilizations, reminding us of the impermanence of worldly glory. The Mahabharata, on the other hand, unravels a tapestry of epic proportions where gods and mortals, virtues and vices, clash on the battlefield of Kurukshetra. It is a tale of kinship and rivalry, honor and deceit, and the eternal struggle between right and wrong. Its characters, like the valiant Pandavas 
and the cunning Kaurabas become companions in this narrative journey, teaching us lessons of loyalty, sacrifice, and the consequences of our actions. But why are these legends important to us, the listeners and community of When Walls Can Talk? It is because they transcend mere entertainment and touch the depths of our souls. They remind us of the timeless aspects of the human experience, our desires, our flaws, our triumphs, and our failures. They challenge us to ponder the complexities of morality, the choices that we make, and the consequences that ripple through generations. These legends ignite our imagination, encouraging us to explore the mysteries of the past and reflect on the complexities of the present. They serve as a bridge between ancient wisdom and contemporary life, reminding us that the struggles faced by those who came before us are not so very different from our own. Legends like that of Dwarka have a way of capturing our imagination, weaving tales that blur the line between reality and fantasy. Dwarka, the ancient city of wonders, was long relegated to the realm of myth and legend. Skeptics dismissed it as a figment of imagination, a story embellished by the passage of time. But recent discoveries have shaken the foundations of this doubt, compelling even the most hardened skeptics to question their assumptions and consider the possibility that Dwarka may not be a mere legend after all. Off the coast of India, where the Arabian Sea kisses the shores of India, lies a treasure trove waiting to be found. Archaeological expeditions have unearthed a fascinating array of architectural ruins submerged beneath the azure waters. The ruins, scattered like whispers from a forgotten era, reveal a different tale. A tale of a majestic city that once stood proud, defying the ravages of time. Amongst the discoveries are arched stones, expertly carved and precisely interlocking, hinting at the architectural marvels that adorned Dwarka. Their mere existence challenges the skepticism and forces us to question the boundaries of our understanding. The precision and complexity of these submerged ruins defy natural explanations, leaving experts baffled. The intricate carvings tell stories of a prosperous city, a hub of trade and culture where artistry and intellect flourished. But what do these discoveries mean for us? They ignite a spark of curiosity, compelling us to reevaluate our preconceived notions and venture into the realms of possibility. Dwarka, once dismissed as a mythical tale, now demands our attention and invites us to unravel its mysteries. As the evidence accumulates, the doubts begin to dissipate. The submerged ruins of Dwarka stand as tangible proof of a forgotten chapter in history. The story of Dwarka, once shrouded in skepticism, now emerges as a tangible reality, beckoning us to explore its secrets. No matter the veracity of the tales surrounding the legendary city of Dwarka, one fact remains undeniable. A forgotten city lies concealed beneath the mesmerizing depths of the Arabian Sea. Its existence alone is a testament to the mysteries of the past, captivating our imaginations and fueling the eternal quest for knowledge and understanding. Yet, as we think upon these submerged ruins, we cannot help but ponder a tantalizing possibility. Was this city not merely a creation of mortals, but rather a divine masterpiece created and crafted by the gods themselves? In the end, The true nature of Dwarka may forever remain shrouded in the mists of time, leaving us to marvel at its mere existence and ponder the infinite possibilities of the human and divine realms converging beneath the waves.
This has been another episode of When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. I am your host, researcher, and editor, Jeremy Haig. Thank you again for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this one. I know it was a little bit different from anything we've covered before, but these are similar stories that may not all fit perfectly into the world of the paranormal, but still tell us stories of our past hiding in the walls and in the ruins waiting to speak to us. And I felt it was important to also touch on various world religions so that we can all be a little bit better educated on the world around us and maybe gain something from their perspective and their teachings and practices. As always, please join us on the Facebook group if you are an avid listener. And if I can ask one thing of you, if you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, please would you take a moment and jump on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you stream your podcasts, and leave us a review. And be honest, let us know what you liked, what you'd like to see grow. But voices like yours help the audience of my show grow and help the podcast reach new listeners. So thank you. My Instagram is at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces if you want to reach out to me for any reason. You can also reach us on Twitter at WWCT, the podcast. As always, check out our, our blog. Uh, I keep the blog updated at our website, www.whenwallscantalktarot.com. And check out the rest of our podcast network. Um, the next episode of Cinematic Secrets should be coming out this week, so look forward to that. And Ghost Besties will be making its triumphant return in just a couple weeks, so all three will be running simultaneously. But as always, thank you so much, and if you need anything, it all should be in the show notes for today's episode. On behalf of myself and everyone here at the podcast, thank you for listening. Bye.